This is WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station, also streaming online at WVEW.org. And this is Indigo Radio every Sunday at 1 p.m. We also now replay Mondays at 2 p.m. We are a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook and on Instagram, and we also have a new Twitter, which is Indigo Radio underscore Vermont. Our shows are recorded and will be uploaded to our SoundCloud and iTunes. And the views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests, not the radio station. This is Anna Milani. I am a Indigo host and part of the Spark faculty uh, of the Teaching Institute here in Southern Vermont. I'm also a student at UMass Amherst. I have a very special guest today. We have both Sergio here in the studio with me, and I have Kyra on the line. So, okay, great. great. How are you doing, Kyra? Doing good. Glad to be here. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm a Spark student, um, and I'm in my first year of teaching at a high school in Vermont. Great. Well, we're glad that you're here calling in. And Sergio, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Hello, Anna. Thank you for, for having me, Kyra. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Sergio. just recently moved to Massachusetts and now hanging out here in the Vermont area. And uh, it's glad to be, I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So today, uh, the opening music that you just heard was from Thursday's National Day of Mourning. It was the 52nd annual Day of Mourning that is celebrated in, on Coal Hill in Plymouth, Mass, every year. And it's put on by the United Indian Americans of New England. And so today we're going to be airing voices from Thursday's uh, celebration. And this is the second time I've gone. I went four years ago. What they usually do is have, it's a day only for indigenous people to speak. They have speeches that is right across from where Plymouth Rock is, which they, a lot of them also call Plymouth Pebble. They tell a lot of the history, a lot of the the myths that are told during this time that is commonly known as Thanksgiving. uh, And they sort of also go through the history of what actually happened there and really center indigenous voices. Uh, They also then have a march through town and usually they have a big dinner at the end, but since COVID, they have not been having the dinner. But it's a really awesome way to spend the day, and it was my second time. And I would love to hear from both Kyra and Sergio. Is their first time? So, Sergio, can we start with you? What was your what was your first time going? Curious what what your thoughts were. Uh, thank you. Well, um, just so I can tell you a little bit of my, about myself, I was originally born and raised in Mexico City. So for me, this was a really nice experience just to see how um, not only the indigenous communities in, uh, in the U.S., but all over the world support each other. So I guess it's really important for everyone to see that and, and obviously to find about the real meaning of Thanksgiving. There are a lot of people there this year. I think they even said they were surprised at how many people came this year. There was way over a thousand. I think that's what they were expecting. But there was a bus of Haitians from the Bronx, and there was also a Boricua bus from the Bronx also. Um, Kyra, I would love to bring you in here, too. It's your first year going. Can you give us some of your thoughts? 
Yeah, it was it was a really great experience as well as both as you have said. And I really appreciated that they were very vocal about separating the myths and and the real history and understanding like what the implications of Thanksgiving are. It was great to reflect on that and then engage with people around that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you said, over a thousand people. So it was great that so many people could come together and think about indigenous people all over the world mm-hmm. and, and the people who were at, who have been fighting for justice around indigenous people and political prisoners who are, are indigenous in that fight as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And we're going to bring in one of those voices today, um, Leonard Peltier, uh, that has been the longest political prisoner here in the United States. So later in the broadcast, you're going to hear his his words through um, uh, one of the uh, members reading a, a letter, and he does this letter every single year. So Kyra and Sergio, thanks so much for being here with me for the hour. It was great to all go together on Thursday. And um, we're going to have Kyra stay on the line. She's going to stay with us the whole hour. And I'm going to go to the first uh, speaker. The first speaker of the day was a woman named Keisha James. And she has the, the opening remarks. Uh, she is a, a Queena Wampanoag tribal member. And she's also a recent graduate of Wellesley College. And in these opening remarks, she gives some of the history uh, of the day and goes more into the struggles of indigenous people today. Thanks for joining us here on Indigo Radio. Good afternoon, sisters and and brothers and siblings. Once again, on the fourth Thursday in November, United American Indians of New England and our supporters are gathered on this hill to observe a national day of mourning for the indigenous people murdered by settler colonialism and imperialism worldwide. Today marks the 52nd time we have gathered here to mourn our ancestors, confront settler mythologies, and speak truth to power. When 200 Native people and their allies gathered in this exact spot 51 years ago to observe the very first National Day of Mourning, they could not have foreseen that generations would continue to gather here year after year carrying on this tradition. Many of the elders who stood on this hill and organized the first National Day of Mourning are no longer with us, but we feel their spirits guiding us today. Today we mourn the loss of a Quinnawampanoag elder and United American Indians of New England co-leader Moonanam James, who joined the ancestors in December of last year, and Wampanoag elder Bert Waters, who entered the spirit world in August of this year. We are also thinking today of so many others, especially those we have lost during the ongoing pandemic, and we mourn their loss. Today I want to tell you a story the story of National Day of Mourning, which was founded by my grandfather, Wamsutta Frank James, and a Quinnawampanoag tribal member more than 50 years ago in 1970. Wamsutta had been invited by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to speak at a banquet celebrating the 350th anniversary of the arrival of the Pilgrims. 
the organizers at the banquet no doubt imagined that Wamsura would give an appreciative and complimentary speech, singing the praises of the American settler colonial project and thanking the pilgrims for bringing civilization to these shores. However, the speech that Wamsura wrote, which was based on historical fact, was a far cry from complimentary. Wamsuda's speech not only named some of the atrocities committed by the settlers and reflected upon the treatment of the Wampanoag at the hands of the pilgrims, but also contained a powerful message of native pride. Our spirit refuses to die, he wrote. Yesterday we walked the woodland paths and sandy trails. Today we must walk the macadam highways and roads. We are uniting. We stand tall and proud, and before too many moons pass, we'll right the wrongs we have allowed to happen to us. When state officials saw an advanced copy of Wamsuda's speech, they refused to allow him to deliver it, saying that the speech was too inflammatory. They told him he could speak only if he were willing to offer false praise of the pilgrims. The organizers even offered to write a speech for him, one which would better fit with their settler colonialist narrative. But Wamsutter refused to have words put into his mouth, his suppressed speech was printed in newspapers across the country, and he and other local native activists began to plan a protest. The flyer for this protest, which was circulated among native people nationwide, read, what do we have to be thankful for? The United American Indians of New England have declared Thanksgiving Day to be a national day of mourning for Native Americans. On so-called Thanksgiving Day 1970, Wamsutta and members of at least 25 tribes, as well as a sprinkling of non-Native allies, gathered here on this hill and observed the very first national day of mourning. That year, my grandfather never got a chance to deliver his suppressed speech, although some who don't actually know our history say he did. Up to 200 Native people and allies gathered on that day. Indigenous people from this region and members of the Boston Indian Council organized and were joined by others, including some famous members of the American Indian Movement. They spoke out about the pilgrim invasion and conditions in Indian country, marched around Plymouth, boarded the Mayflower too, and threw the English flag overboard. They even buried Plymouth Rock. One AIM leader would later say of the first National Day of Mourning that it is a day American Indians won't forget. We went to Plymouth for a purpose, to mourn since the landing of the pilgrims the repression of the American Indian and to indict the hypocrisy of a system which glorifies that repression. We fulfilled that purpose and gained a spirit of unity that spread across the land. National Day of Mourning continued across the years. In the 1970s, UAIN demanded the return of the bones of a Wampanoag girl that were being held by the gravedigger settlers at the Pilgrim Hall Museum. At the fourth National Day of Mourning, my grandfather marched into the Pilgrim Hall Museum and took the bones back so that they could receive a proper burial. Over the years, we repeatedly disrupted the Pilgrim Progress Parade, our tradition we continued until 1996. The following year, in 1997, we were blocked on Leiden Street, brutalized by the police, and arrested without warning for simply trying to march peacefully. 
the resulting court case and settlement led to the National Day of Mourning plaque you see here on Coles Hill and the Metacomet plaque we will visit when we march. Consistently, our organization has never collaborated with the Pilgrims or their institutions, whether the Mayflower Society, the Plymouth 400 International Colonizer Celebrations, or the disgusting Thanksgiving Day Parade that took place here five days ago, which members of local tribes rightfully protested. So why do so many Native people object to the Thanksgiving myth? Well, according to popular myth, the pilgrims, seeking religious freedom, landed on Plymouth Rock. The Indians welcomed them with open arms and then conveniently faded into the background and everyone lived happily ever after the end. Here is the truth. First, the pilgrims are glorified and mythologized because the circumstances of the first English colony in North America, Jamestown, were too ugly to hold up as an effective national myth. No school seems to want to teach kids about settler cannibalism. Pilgrims and Indians are a much more marketable story. Second, the pilgrims came here as part of a commercial venture. They didn't need religious freedom. They already had that back in the Netherlands. The Mayflower Compact was merely a group of white men who wanted to ensure they would get a return on their investment. When the pilgrims arrived, on Outer Cape Cod, by the way, not on that pebble down the hill, one of the first things the pilgrims did was to rob Wampanoag graves at Corn Hill and steal as much of their winter provisions of corn and beans as they were able to carry. The writings of the colonists themselves describe these actions taking place. The next part of the mythology is true. Some Wampanoag ancestors did welcome the pilgrims and save them from starvation. And what did we get in return for this kindness? Genocide, the theft of our lands, slavery, starvation, and never-ending oppression. It is also important to remember that the first official Thanksgiving did not take place in 1621 when the pilgrims had a harvest time meal provided largely by the Wampanoag. Instead, the first Thanksgiving was declared in 1637 by Governor Winthrop of the Massachusetts Bay Colony to celebrate the massacre of over 700 Pequot men, women, and children on the banks of the Mystic River in Connecticut. William Bradford of the Plymouth Colony wrote of this event, those that escaped the fire were slain with the sword, some hewed to pieces, others run through with their rapiers. They thus destroyed 400 at this time. It was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire. Horrible was the stink and scent thereof, but the victory seemed a sweet sacrifice, and they gave the prayers thereof to God, who had wrought so wonderfully for them this victory. Subsequent slaughters of indigenous people would be celebrated by a day of thanksgiving, and yet the history books call us the savages. So why does any of this matter? It is simple. When people perpetuate the myth of thanksgiving, they are not only erasing our genocide, but also celebrating it. We did not simply fade into the background, as the thanksgiving myth says. We have survived and thrived. We have persevered. The very fact that you are here is proof that we did not vanish. Our very presence frees this land from the lies of the history books and the myth makers. We will remember and honor all our ancestors in the struggle who went before us. We will speak truth to power as we have been doing since the first day of mourning in 1970. That first day of mourning in 1970 was a powerful demonstration of native unity. It has continued for all these years as a powerful demonstration of unity and the unity of all people who speak truth to power. Sadly, Many of the conditions that prevailed in Indian country in 1970 still prevail today. 
1970, our average life expectancy was just 44 years. Today it is up, but for Native men, it is still six years below that of white people. Native women's death rate has increased 20% over the past 15 years. In 1970, the average Native yearly income was $4,347. In 2019, 20% of Native people still earned under $5,000. In 1970, our suicide and infant mortality rates were among the highest in the country, and this has not changed. We all know that racism is alive and well. All of us are struggling under the oppression of a capitalist system which forces people to make a bitter choice between heating and eating. We will continue to gather on this hill until corporations and the U.S. military stop polluting the earth, until we dismantle the brutal apparatus of mass incarceration. <laughs> We will not stop until the oppression of our two-spirit siblings is a thing of the past. When the freedmen are granted equal rights by the so-called five civilized tribes who enslaved their ancestors. When unhoused people have homes. When children are no longer taken from their parents and locked in cages at the border. When the Palestinians reclaim the homeland and the autonomy Israel has denied them for the past 70 years. When no person goes hungry or is left to die because they have little or no access to quality health care. When insulin is free. When union busting is a thing of the past. Until then, the struggle will continue. In 1970, we demanded an end to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. It is still a demand today. Native nations should not need federal oversight to govern ourselves or take control of our own lands. As we did in 1970, we mourn the loss of millions of our ancestors and the devastation of the land, water, and air. We condemn all acts of violence and terrorism perpetuated by all governments and organizations against innocent people worldwide. Since the invasion of Columbus and the rest of the Europeans, Native people have been virtually non-stop victims of terrorism. From the colonial period to the 21st century, this has entailed torture, massacres, systematic military occupations, and the forced removals of indigenous peoples from their homelands. Let us not forget that this country was founded on the ideology of white supremacy, the widespread practice of African slavery, and a policide of genocide and land theft. Let us not forget that under the pipelines, skyscrapers, mines, and oil rigs lie the interred bones, sacred objects, and villages of our native ancestors. On our program will be only indigenous speakers. This is one day when we speak for ourselves without non-native people, so-called experts, intervening to interpret and speak for us. Today, on liberated territory, we will correct the history of a country that continues to glorify butchers such as Christopher Columbus, that makes slave-owning presidents such as Washington and Jefferson into godlike figures, and even carves their faces into the sacred black hills of the Lakota. In 1970, very few people would have given any thought to the fact that the indigenous people of this hemisphere do not look upon the arrival of the European invaders as a reason to give thanks. Today, many thousands stand with us in spirit as we commemorate the 2021 National Day of Mourning. 
As my grandfather said back in 1970, we are now being heard, we are now being listened to. The important point is we still have the spirit, we still have the unique culture, we still have the will, and most important of all, the determination to remain as Indians. We are determined, and our presence here is living testimony that this is only the beginning of the American Indian, particularly the Wampanoag, to regain the position in this country that is rightfully ours. In the spirit of Crazy Horse, in the spirit of Medicom, in the spirit of Geronimo, above all, to all people who fight and struggle for real justice, we are not vanishing, we are not conquered, we are as strong as ever. Okay, that was... Keisha James that you were just listening to. She is a member of the Aquina Wampanoag tribe, and she did the opening remarks at the National Day of Mourning, which, as she indicated, uh, started in 1970. And if you're just joining us, this is Anna, and I'm joined with Sergio in the studio, and Kyra uh, is on the phone with us for the hour. All three of us went to the National Day of Mourning on Thursday, and this show is dedicated to those voices. And Keisha went through a lot of the history, and I would love uh, for Kyra to chime in here. Kyra is one of our Spark students, and uh, she's currently teaching within the schools. And Kyra, I would love to ask you your thoughts as a teacher. I mean, I was definitely taught that Columbus discovered America, as many of us were, as, as you know, it's still being taught uh, in many places. So could you kind of speak on your thoughts uh, from what Keisha said and the history uh, and the, the importance of um, teaching about this day? Yeah, it's very important to teach about the, the truth of the history uh, between Native Americans in this country and uh, settler colonialism. And it's, I mean, like you said, even even in my education, mostly in Florida, I was being taught that it was a feast and, you know, it was all nice and there was no bad blood. There was no bloodshed at all. And I think that that is problematic based on the, the, the reality of those relations. And then having that myth and... Keisha had mentioned it. It's erasure. It's um, completely erasing the experiences that have occurred. And I would like for the real history to be brought to light in schools. Yeah. I know I I uh, bring it into my classroom as a public health teacher at UMass mm-hmm. Amherst. We always do work around indigenous health, which she talked a little bit about uh, and I think later when we talk about political prisoners, um, it will go into the health of Leonard Peltier. But that's also a, an important aspect. And students, you know, they really, they learn the same thing I learned uh, back in mm-hmm. high school, too. So it's still, you know, and these are college students. So they're still learning these myths about Thanksgiving. We're going to go to a song. Um, and then we're going to go back to the Day of Mourning voices. This song is um, by Hallucination. They are formerly... A, Uh, tribe called Red. So you're here with Indigo Radio and we'll be right back. Bismillah. 
Special and living by the G code. What the f is fleek though? Don't ask them, what do he know? What I forgot is better than whatever they remember. Never mind, I'm off it, it's quiet for Time to put the temper tantrums to the quiet corner. Hush, that's enough, said the ruler. No suckers allowed to break bread or asunder. The daylight, lightning, and the thunder. Sun, moon, and stars, and the hunger. Abundance in bundles, blessings in troubles. Towers and tunnels, views and valleys, waves and peaks. Streets you from sun, planet Earth. And ain't scared of no Mars attack. What type of bars is that? Stay off my chat. I'm up, they call me Riot Garments, top five. Dying on and on them, super fly, slick a top rope, equal diving on them. You why you lying, homie? You won't play with my emotions, smoky. Big chief, heart rate, big beat, B-E-Y, I seen straight jacket, come clean, big said it was a dream. Now it's a living thing, with you and living kings, I mean it, I mean This is Indigo Radio, and this is Anna in the studio with Sergio and Kyra on the line. We are uh, listening to voices from the National Day of Mourning. That was Hallucination, formerly Tribe Called Red. And we're going to go to the next speaker. I'm going to have Sergio introduce the speaker. Um, Sergio, can you tell us this next one? Uh, sure. Coming up next, uh, we have uh, speaker... Uh, Rosalba Solis. She is the Council of Maya Elders. And as we know, this this uh, huge civilization that occupies um, the southern southern territory in Mexico and the states of Chiapas and, and Yucatan, but also goes all the way down to uh, Honduras uh, and Salvador and Guatemala. So uh, let's, let's hear it. Okay, great. And the translation is um, by a woman named Jennifer. We don't have the last name. My name is Jennifer, and I will be reading to you our message from the Mayan elders in English. Sisters and brothers, our joyful embrace from our ancestral lands and our song of protest, of struggle, of walking, the embrace of our elders, our women, our men, our grandchildren, the voices of girls and boys, grandmothers and grandfathers, the voices of the disappeared, of those who were assassinated in the name of money-hungry transnationals, the voices of our Mother Earth that echoes in the mountains, deserts, forests, and jungles, and screams in the great avenues of luxurious cities born and fed with the blood of exploited peoples. The cry of Mother Earth that murmurs in the hearts of her daughters and sons who wander lost in the virtual hurricane, forgotten that we are in creation to pay tribute to life. The struggles unite us, heals us, liberates us, but the fight still continues. The fight not only for the freedom of each nation, but it is the fight for life itself, for the survival of our mother earth. Here in our ancestral lands, we have been fighting for hundreds of years, but each one of our victories makes that the genocidal government more brutal, more sanguinary, even at this very moment in history. We have never asked for your money. We have never asked you to come and fight here because here, whoever fights is disappeared and murdered. Here, there is no game of human rights and trial in court. 
hear only impunity and more cruel and crude corruption thanks to the training and financing of American democracy. We, our hearts keep hope. The knowledge that in the unity of peoples in struggle, we can overcome the egotistic, materialistic, destructive forces that murder human beings, ancestral cultures, the beauty and the wealth of our Mother Earth. So we want to join our hearts with your hearts, our hopes with your hopes, our knowledges with your knowledges. We humbly ask you today, here in this sacred Wampanoag land, not for us only, we ask for all the peoples of the colors of Mother Earth, the four directions. Please stop all your greedy companies and peddlers of disease, destruction, consumerism, alienation, the same ones that have the control of your famous American democracy. Please do it because you liberate all the so-called third world peoples. But even more important is that you also liberate yourself by any means necessary, not buying their goods, which is the same, no more garbage thrown into the seas, unmasking all their investments and development plans in the third world that are really just corruption, genocide, and ecocide. You, we, the people, are the ones who can dismantle this suicidal life system. We are the ones who can build a way of living in balance, respect, and cooperation. We are the ones who can write history without wars, slavery, racism, or ecocide. Thank you for listening to our simple words. Council of Mayan Elders, Ishe Melu, 2021. Okay, and again, that was the Council of Maya Elders, Rosalba Solis, translated by Jennifer. We're actually going to go on to the next uh, speaker that talks about Leonard Peltier. And for those of you who may not know who Peltier is, this speech is by Taino Chailanaru, and she talks about his case. Uh, he is the longest political prisoner in the U.S., and so we're going to go to her um, and we'll be uh, we'll be back. Thanks again for joining us. Greetings, my brothers and sisters. My name is Chali Naru. I am of the Boriken Taino tribe. I am here and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for all of you. Wow. Matawi, you were right. This is amazing. Thank you all, everyone here. Thank wow, my heart is just exploding. This is when I get emotional. I'm here to read the statement written by Talia Jarina Carol Kachmuen, creator of the five, the fight to free Leonard Peltier, honoring indigenous culture and heritage. A gallery exposition held at the historic De Clemente in the LES Manhattan in honor of Leonard Peltier and his fight for freedom. Thank you all for being here today to celebrate National Day of Mourning. It is my honor to introduce Leonard Peltier's annual National Day of Mourning speech. Leonard Peltier is a Native American activist, artist, humanitarian, and writer. He is also a political prisoner wrongfully incarcerated since 1977 and falsely imprisoned for the murders of two FBI agents in 1975. 
1975, two FBI agents entered private property on the Pine Ridge Reservation in unmarked vehicles and plain clothes. This time period was known as the Reign of Terror on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. The terror that Dick Wilson, U.S. Marshals, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and the FBI incited is why Leonard was an activist and member of the American Indian Movement, AIM. He was protecting his people that were getting tortured, brutalized, murdered, and raped by members of those government agencies. After a shootout occurred on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, Leonard Peltier was convicted for the deaths of two FBI agents who died during the 1975 shootout. Currently, Leonard has diabetes and he's, a fed, and he's fed a non-diabetic diet in prison. His glucose readings are high and he is losing weight. He needs two knee replacements and hip replacements and he has torn ro rotator cuffs in both shoulders. He has burning in his prostate which may or may not be cancer. He needs extreme dental work done. He has lost most of his teeth and can hardly chew anything. His hearing is going on him. And he is blind in one eye because of lack of medical attention he receives for his diabetes. His medical records are being withheld from his legal team. The bottom line is they are trying to execute him by medical neglect which is why now more than ever we need to push for clemency because Leonard is extremely sick. In the past and in the present, many have supported Peltier's clemency pleas. Pope Francis brought the case to the attention of the Obama White House. James Reynolds, the U.S. attorney who supervised the government's prosecution of Peltier today is lobbying for his release and admits the government still doesn't know who killed the FBI agents. Deb Haaland, current Secretary of Interior, drafted a clemency appeal when she was a co Congress member in 2020 with another colleague. An updated appeal was sent to President Biden last month, this time signed by 12 members of Congress. Eighty-one Native American legislatures from 20 U.S. states passed a resolution last week asking President Biden to expedite Peltier's release. If you are able, please contact President Joe Biden at www.thewhitehouse.gov contact and demand clemency for Leonard Peltier now. If you are interested in getting involved, Want to learn more, please visit the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. For You can also call legislature, legislators, write letters to the Congress, visit members of Congress, sign a petition, host an event, educate others, become a volunteer. Leonard Peltier is now the longest serving political prisoner in the United States of America. For those of us that see Peltier as a hero, we must understand that he didn't choose this for his life. He was taken against his will and, and is incarcerated by a system that was built and created to destroy his people. The inhumanity of this case is simply indescribable. Leonard Peltier is innocent and his freedom directly ties to indigenous liberation. Any 
anyone in a position of privilege and power should okay. use that was the information on Leonard Peltier by Shalin Aru uh, speaking and there's been a huge push especially for those aging in prison and as she spoke about that there's been a huge push for many many decades uh, to to free him so if you are interested in learning more about the case there's lots of information on the the website and we can also put that website on the Facebook page so we're gonna go to every year uh, Leonard writes a statement for National Day of Mourning and Herb Waters who she spoke about he died this past August and every year he would read that statement so what we're gonna do is play the statement and this year it was read by Herbie Waters the fourth who's the grandson of Herb Waters and he is a student at Boston University and so we're gonna go now to his statement and we'll be back after that before I read the statement I'd like to say a couple words about my grandfather on August 4th 2021 my grandfather dr. Herbert Waters jr. suddenly passed away he was 90 years old I would like to honor him by listing what I know he's done and how these things inspire me. He educated people. He worked with communities. He fought for his country and his people, whether overseas or on native land. And for many years, he came here to Coles Hill to recite every statement from Leonard Peltier. He inspires me, although it was only near the end of his life where I really discovered the breadth of what he did. It does exhibit a few parallels to what I aspire to be. I would like to thank my grandfather, Dr. Herbert Waters Jr. for his service to all those he's dutifully served. And I will now begin the statement from Leonard Peltier. Greetings, relatives. Each year, as November nears, I try to think back on all that has happened in my world in the past 12 months. And I know that in my world, I can only see a very small part of what is happening on the outside. For me, this year somehow seems to carry more weight than usual. I have passed ever so slowly into the world of the elderly. I am now closer to 80 than to 70. The truth is, I never believed I would live this long. I was just past 31 old when I came to prison. It was almost half a century ago. My body is now the body of an old man. And it is harder to try to keep myself from being overtaken by sickness or depression or loneliness. They are constant companions here. I keep them at arm's length, and I know I cannot ever let them overtake me. If I allow that to happen, it will be the end. There is no mercy here and no compassion. I cannot even imagine what it is like on the outside. I only hear stories and cannot believe half of what I hear. For me, the best days here at USP Coleman in Florida were the days when we could be outside in the yard and feel the sun. Even though they purposely built the walls so high that we could not even see the treetops, the occasional bird or butterfly gives a welcome glimpse of our relatives in the natural world, but even that is very rare now. I know COVID has cost all of us, you and me, in many ways, and I offer my condolences for all of you who have lost loved ones and friends to it. Here. Inside the steel and concrete walls, it is no different. Constant lockdowns caused by both COVID and violence have made life here even harder than usual. I have not been allowed to paint in 18 months and we are almost always in some form of lockdown. 
We are stuck in our cells for days at a time. It is an extremely rare day when we get to go outside to the yard. I feel moved to try to explain something that has been on my mind for many years. I think maybe it will be helpful if I say the words out loud. When we started to emerge from the darkness of residential schools, it became clear that we had to go back to try and reclaim what they robbed from us. And what they robbed us of was the very heart of who we were. Our language, our ways, and our connections back home. They wanted us leaving those schools thinking like little non-Indians who would just go along with the program and not rock the boat. Even with all the terrible damage they did to so many of us, many of us did survive them. And then we began the process of reclaiming our culture and way of life. I know that process continues to this day. I am so deeply saddened in hearing the stories of all the children's graves they are finding at residential schools. I guess I was one of the lucky ones who made it home. But the death of those children is so sad and outrageous, and I am glad the world is finding out at last. Back then, even our home at Turtle Mountain was under threat of government termination. I remember how hard my dad, who was a World War II veteran, fought to save us. Over the years, we fought so many fights to keep our way of life alive and protect the natural world. After our family was relocated to Portland, Oregon, I took part in the fishing struggles with Billy Frank and his Nisqually people at Frank's Landing. The rednecks were cutting up their nets and attacking both women and men who just wanted to continue to fish as their ancestors did. And when they shot Hank Adams, it was a very dark time and outraged all of us. But we stood strong to protect the Nisqually people. I will always be proud of that. There were so many outrages back then. When the land at Fort Lawton and Washington State fell into disuse, we went there and occupied it under old treaty law. That was also a hard time. At one point, soldiers were pointing flamethrowers at us, but we held our ground and eventually they gave in. We put a good friend, Bernie White Bear, in charge, and he helped to build the Daybreak Star Center that is still a great asset to Indian people today. Bernie is gone now, as are so many of the others from those days. Same thing when we took the abandoned Coast Guard station in Milwaukee with Herb Paulus. Our actions might have been unpopular at the time, but they led to a school, alcohol treatment center, and employment office. The school is still thriving and is an asset to the native community and the Milwaukee area. Herb is gone too. So even though the price we paid was very high, very, very high. We did make things better for our people and we did help to turn things around. I wonder if many people understand the events in our history and how connected they are. I was born in 1944. The massacre of wounded, wounded Knee was in 1890. That was just 54 years earlier, and both Geronimo and Chief Joseph died only 35 years earlier in 1909. Think about that. 35 years ago now, it was 1986. Not very long ago after all. I want to leave you with some positive thoughts. Retired United States Attorney James Reynolds did an interview with the Huffington Post last week and actually apologized to me for all the wrong they did to me. I hope that is spread all over the world and I am grateful to him. I can say that I am heartened and encouraged by the courageous water protectors from Standing Rock. 
to the beautiful Manuman wild rice lands of northern Minnesota. I am proud of Winona LaDuke and her people's work to protect those beautiful lands and lakes and her work to offer alternatives to fossil fuels. Using him could fix so many things. It is not something we can fix in a year or 10 years, but it is something that all reasonable people should understand. We cannot poison the water that sustains us, all of us, not just Native and First Nations people, but all people. We have that in common. People should understand we are trying to protect our homes and our natural lands. Water is life. And I am deeply grateful for the courage and vision of Deb Holland, the new Secretary of the Interior Department. I know she went to Alcatraz this week. That is an acknowledgement that what we did was right and honorable. I was not at Alcatraz, but those of us, women and men, who stood up in those days were right. And in other parts of the country, we formed our own branches of United Indians of all tribes, so their efforts led to others joining in. I heard that Deb Harlan said that the day has come when Indians no longer have to protest to be heard by the U.S. government. That is music to my old ears. Our people were, and many still are, suffering. Anyone of any race would do the same things to stop the sufferings of their people. I wish all of you good health and happiness in all you do. You are in my prayers, and I am grateful to all of you who have supported me or will support me going forward. I still hold out hope that I can make it home to Turtle Mountain when I can still walk out under my own power. I remain grateful for the gift of life. In the spirit of Crazy Horse, Doc Shaw, Leonard Peltier. That was uh, Herbie Waters IV reading the annual statement from Leonard Peltier, who is 77, and he has been incarcerated for 44 years. And every year he writes a statement. I'm always inspired by his words. Um, and, and also for our listeners out there that follow our show, next week we air an interview that we did with Greg Mingo, who was just granted clemency um, by Andrew Cuomo, and he had spent uh, 40 years incarcerated. So we'll be bringing you that interview next week. And I was just thinking of that because of the, the similarities between um, the health conditions uh, and those that are aging uh, in prison. So I'm going to go to Kyra uh, to ask Kyra if you have any thoughts you want to share around the speech by Peltier. Yeah, so I really appreciated how he was connecting, making connections between generations and, and the resistance that's happened throughout the years, 35 years before him, what was being done. And, and when he was out there, what work was being done in Alcatraz, and then it still continues to be done, resistance. Mm -hmm. And so 
I thought that that was helpful because, you know, he brought up loneliness, depression, and despair and how those are circling. Those are, those are close, but not giving into them because of the resistance being done and, and participating in that resistance is not, it kind of reminds you that you're not alone Mm -hmm. um, when you're participating in that. And, how the resistance that he's talking about, it's not just not poisoning the water for for indigenous people. It's not poisoning the water for all people mm-hmm. because it's all humans. It's all, all beings, animals, trees, like water is life. And mm-hmm. I really appreciated that he brought that, that resistance to the global scale. That's great. Thanks, Kyra, for your thoughts. And the, the last speech we'll play also touches on that. But before we do that, uh, we're going to go to another song by The Hallucination. And um, after that, we'll come back and, and play the, the last speech for you all.
That was Hallucination, formerly known as A Tribe Called Red. And we have played a couple songs from them today. They're a Canadian um, electronic music group who bring in hip hop, reggae. They're bringing elements of First Nations music. The group consists of Tim Hill, Mohawk of the Six Nations of the Grand River, and Aaron Bear Witness Thomas of the Cayuga First Nation. So we are going to play one last speech. We have a little bit of extra time today because no one comes in after us in the studio. So we're going to play that last speech and then round out the show. If you're just joining us again, this is Anna for Indigo Radio, and we are playing voices from Thursday's National Day of Mourning. That happens every year in Plymouth, Massachusetts, starting back in 1970. I have Sergio in the studio and Kyra, who's one of the Spark students, on the phone, and they will be sharing final thoughts. But we're going to go to this last one. It's by Bibi Inaru, who is a Taino elder. She came all the way from the Bronx uh, for the day. Well, I almost thought I wouldn't make it, you know. Glad uh, to have you here. I get, uh, let me tell you, my mind is 24, but my body is not. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to be here uh, again. Uh, I have missed uh, I missed the last one because I had COVID. And um, I guess the Great Spirit decided that he's going to keep me here for a little bit longer. So I'm here. Okay. Now. I know we, we took a moment, right, for the elders that passed away. And um, it's really sad not to have them here because I'm used to seeing them. And so when I think about those elders, I think, you know, we're all going to get there, okay? All of us. You Sooner or later, you're all going to become elders. And you're all going to think like I am. You're 24 in a body that's close to 80 years old, all right? Anyway, I I thought a lot about what I was going to talk about when I got here. Um, I don't write speeches. I speak from my spirit and from my heart. (laughs) I come from the Caribbean. We have many islands in the Caribbean, and they're all beautiful. Jamaica, which still retains its indigenous name. Cubanacan, that's Cuba. We also have the island of Kiskeya. How many people here from the Caribbean? Raise your hands. All right. And I come from Boringen, (laughs) a.k.a. Puerto Rico. And I say a.k.a. because that's the name that the Spanish gave it. And in spite of the fact that they gave it that name, we love it just the same. And those people who were born on the island, all right, they still call it Borinquen. And those people that were born off the island, they may call it Puerto Rico, but Puerto Rico grew in their hearts and they love it just as much. And why am I saying that to you? It's really important because of all the islands, Borinquen, our beautiful Borinquen, is the only one that is still a colony and still occupied by the United States of America. Right? And that's an important thing for you to know, right? 
Why? Because as indigenous peoples, and we, we are alive, very much alive, by the way. <laughs> very much alive. We are marginalized by our own government. Our own government doesn't want to recognize us. And I'm sure a lot of you here in the East Coast, especially in the land of the Wampanoas and Narragansett and so forth, have felt that. And also the Pequots, correct? I remember when there were 17 of them and uh, they got their recognition in the year 2000, federal recognition. But in gang, we don't get federal recognition. We don't, we don't have a card. They don't give us a card to tell us that we're Indian. We already know we're Indian. We don't need their cards. <laughs> however, however, there's benefits that come with that card. Okay? You can be enslaved and dependent on the system forever. Because whatever the winds of the government, however they change their mind, if they want to give you food coupons this year, they'll give them to you. If they don't want to give them to you this next year, they won't. All right, so that, that, that comes with that card. And why am I mentioning this? I'm mentioning it because we've gotten to a point on Mother Earth where it's no longer about the card. It's no longer about being indigenous. It's no longer about being white, black. I don't like that. I don't like this white people, black people, right? No, it's about humanity. It's about humanity, the tribes, the tribes of humanity. How many of you belong to the tribe of humanity? Yeah. The rainbow tribes, like they call it, right? And it is important that you realize that because Bodinken itself and all of the rest of the continent, and that means all of the Americas because a lot of people think that there's only natives here in the, in, in the north, but no. There's natives in the south, there's natives in all over Central America. The lands are being assaulted. Our waters are being polluted. Our mountains in Kiskeya are being mined for gold. Okay? Being mined for gold. And they're polluting the rivers, they're polluting the oceans. In Borinquen, it is the same thing. And the colonial system doesn't work for us. None of the isms work for us. It doesn't work for us. The only thing that will work for us is freedom and liberation. Independence. Total independence so that we can decide our future and what we want. So we can take care of our rivers and our oceans and everything that we have to take care of. But it is also up to you guys out here to help. Especially those of you who are born in dominant society and you have a privileged American Express card or visa or whatever. Some of us never saw those things, you know. It's up to you because you're in a position to help. You, some of you are lawyers, doctors, whatever. You're in a position to help. And I'm up here and I thought about it. And I said, what am I going to ask this great humanity that I see in front of me? I'm going to say, we need your help. We need your help.
We need your help so that our people on our island can be recognized. We need your help so we can continue to fight the destruction of Mother Earth. We need your help so we can re-educate the system, turn it around. We need you, and I mean this, to inform yourselves. And like I've said every year, and I'll say it again, all right? Stop supporting the very system that oppresses you. Stop supporting it. And that goes for indigenous people as well, because some of them do it. Some of them do it. And I can tell you that because right now we will have a casino opened up on our land and no one ever spoke to my people about it. And it's an indigenous nation with a lot of money. So indigenous peoples that are here, I know you need support, I know you need money, I know you need these things, but do not let your mind get colonized. Don't let your mind get colonized. Boricuas in the house, do not let your mind get colonized. Africans in the house, don't let your country get colonized. The human race is diverse and beautiful. And together, we can make it happen. Diversity is what everything is about. So let your hearts and your spirits speak for you. Join forces and you young people, never give up the fight, never ever until you succeed. You can do it, it's up to you to turn it around. I may not be here tomorrow, but you're here. Take back your land, take back your country, take back what's yours. So you can have a future. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. I want to thank you for allowing me to say a few words. I hope you leave here with a new mindset. You know, it's okay to celebrate and say thank you. It's not okay to celebrate genocide. That was uh, Bibi Inaru. Uh, who came all the way from the Bronx, an elder. And that wraps it up for us here at Nugo Radio. We went a little bit over. There are a lot more speeches. The day went from 12 to about 4 p.m. And so you can find all of the speeches at the United uh, American Indian of New England website, which we can also um, post on the Facebook page in case you want to listen to the other speeches. But I just want to bring back uh, Sergio and Kyra here. Uh, Kyra, do you have any last words here as we close out the show? I really appreciated that Phoebe in the last speech recognized Puerto Rico. Uh, I might be mispronouncing, but as a indigenous population, because I don't think that that's a common connection that's made, but it's true that that Puerto Ricans are native to Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. 
I think we were talking about that, how I think that also a lot of people sometimes either forget or don't know that Puerto Ricans have citizenship. And I think she talked uh, about it, or maybe some other speaker spoke about how, uh, you know, Puerto Rico still remains the, what they say, the last colony of the U.S. I mean, it is still a territory of the U.S. Um, so that's important to acknowledge and see that they're, they're still fighting for that, too. Um, Sergio, do you have anything else? Uh, thank you, Anna. Uh, sure. Uh, also think, yeah, it's really uh, important to hear this words by, by Bibi Naru representing the Taino community. So people, awesome people like uh, Rosalba Solis representing uh, the Mayan community. Mm-hmm. And in general, I just think it's uh, very important just to know the real history of the land that we're standing on right now. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Well, Kyra, thanks so much for hanging out with us for the hour. And it was great to spend the day with you in Plymouth. Thanks for having me. We're going to go out. Sergio is actually going to introduce the last song. We want to thank you all for listening. We will post the show on our Facebook and Instagram. And we hope, we hope you all have a good rest of your Sunday. Once again, Anna, thank you for having me. And this last song is from a Colombian DJ, uh, Eric Rincon, and it's called um, Sangre Azteca. <laughs>